You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. More than ever, cutting through that hot air, half-truths, and downright 100% lies. We start a new week, and already half of Congress is gone. The House uh, is out of town. Our work is done here. (laughs) You know, the entire August, they're out of town after doing absolutely nothing of substance the last seven months or so um, with full control of government. But that's the Republican Party we have. And that's really what I want to discuss today. You know, as an audience, you guys are at the cutting edge. You're ahead of the curve. You've known all this. You've known that they had no intention of repealing Obamacare. You've known that this party is worthless. You've known that there are so many missed opportunities. There are so many issues for which we we need a party to address um, just core cultural problems, economic problems, uh, systemic problems in our system of government. You know, I have my weekend piece on the courts, their war on God and public prayer, big problem you're not hearing about. And, you know, whereas when I started out in this business, which isn't too long ago, as you know, I'm not exactly old, the Republican Party, believe it or not, even the establishment folks, they fought for us on two, three, four issues maybe. They screwed us on half the others, but, you know, they fought for us on a couple issues, and especially when the courts were, um, you know, as I mentioned in this piece, in 2002 when the uh, Ninth Circuit Court took it out under God from the Pledge of Allegiance, the House of Representatives actually acted on that and exercised their power to kick the courts out of, out of such cases. Now, it didn't go anywhere in the Senate back then, but at least there was some initiative. Now there's nothing. There is not a single issue for which there is a united effort on the part of this party and even the so-called conservative movement to do the right thing. So for you guys, this is not surprising. You know, for me, it's anticlimactic. I'm obviously very tired. Um, You guys know it was a busy week for me last week. I'm really enjoying a lot of your feedback on the podcast we had. The last three podcasts we did, by the way, episodes, what is it, 130, 131, 132, we're all on healthcare. We got deep in the weeds on healthcare, giving you a vision of what healthcare should look like and how easy it is really to enact these policies and message these policies if only we had a party that believed and understood in these issues. And sadly, we're left with a party that stands for nothing. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here in my home office early Monday morning, July 31st. And don't ask me why I remember this, but I actually remember having the same view, but there was a deer in my backyard while I was making the call to Matt Bevin, who's now the governor of Kentucky, but uh, trying to recruit him to run against Mitch McConnell in the primary in, uh, in 2014. Nobody was with us at the time. As the primary you know, gained some steam, a couple of organizations came out for us, not too many. And now everyone's a big hero. Everyone understands Mitch McConnell's worthless, but great. You know, some some of us tried. 
I tried every legislative maneuver. I tried every electoral maneuver. And, you know, to this day, I'm still working on primaries in Mississippi, Alabama. You know, it's funny. Um, hat tip to Drew, Drew McCoy of uh, Ace of Spades for being the only one to recognize this. He put out on Twitter, thank you, Conservative Review, for being the only one to actually engage in the Alabama primary. You know, right now, as everyone's lamenting, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? Isn't it terrible? The Republican Party, they just they they betrayed us. The biggest betrayal of all time. Seven year lie about repealing Obamacare. Where are they? At the same time, we have primaries going on and they're nowhere to be seen. And this, this is why at its core, you know, my belief is that this party is irremediably broken. You can't, you, you can't put in the hearts of minds of people that fundamentally don't believe in what you believe in. Politics is so much about messaging. It's so important to properly give over an issue. How do you put in the hearts and minds of a party to deliver on an issue that they don't understand and usually don't believe in? I, I want to go back to an analogy, a crude analogy I gave but I can't think of a better analogy and just take it a step further. You know, we talked about someone walking home and coming in the door and seeing uh, another man in bed with his wife and, uh, you know, they're going at it and all of a sudden the guy comes out of their bedroom and he's like, hey, uh, can you get me a nice cold one from the fridge? I'm kind of thirsty. And the husband says, oh yeah, here, go go check out that fridge. Here, here Here's a nice cold Heineken. Let, let's take that analogy a step further you know, the husband uh, plops himself down on the couch as if nothing happened, picks up the newspaper, maybe watches a little bit of Fox News. And meanwhile, still, you know, his wife is going at it with this individual in the bedroom making noise and everything. And all of a sudden, 10 minutes later, the guy slams the newspaper on the, on, on the coffee table. He's like, what the heck is going on here? I'm tired of this. Freeze frame. That's where this so-called conservative movement and many of my colleagues are at this point. It's kind of cute watching it. Like, man, we need a new party. Like, really? Oh, I'm glad you kind of finally realized this. Now, the question is, as we begin this new week, are we going to get back to Russia, Trump's new tweets, and this and that? Or are they going to follow up on this? Are they going to go back to the same, uh, you know, pick up that newspaper as if nothing happened? Or are they going to walk out of this house? That's the question for my colleagues. I'm going to be working on, you know, uh, some sort of gathering, I hope to get some of my colleagues together in a room and pray together, strategize together to see, among other things, how do we start a new party? Whether it's the Federalist Party, whether we merge with something else, but how to get off the ground. And I got some thoughts about that. I got some thoughts about that. You know, the biggest problem we've had with the Republican Party is that they know conservatives are always on the plantation. They use us. They use our voters. They use our uh, enthusiasm, our energy during the primaries, during the general election, not just the money, but the knocking on doors, the ground game. Uh, you know, it's people that actually believe in the Republican platform. You know, but the elected officials, the consultants, the big time donors, they don't believe in the platform. I was thinking they're using us. They they are using us to go and 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 uh, get elected on our platform, but then to implement the ideas of the left. 
So I started thinking, why can't we do the same thing? Why can't we use them for ballot access? We'll run as Republicans, we'll get on the ballot, but we'll make it very clear from day one that we have no allegiance to them, nothing. So we're, we're going to do what we want. So we're not going to be pressured by how do you get to yes on our legislation? No, no, no. How do you guys get to yes on our legislation? The biggest problem with starting a new party is that this duopoly, which is really a unibrow, it's really a monopoly because uh, they're the same party. They stack the deck of, um, you know, it's funny, kind of like uh, the monopoly of the hospital and insurance cartel we've been talking about the last week or two with healthcare. They've used the boot of government. They've used electoral law in most states to box out competition. It's very, very hard to get on the ballot as another party. Um, you know, you can, it's easy to get on as an independent, but to actually have another party franchise on the ballot is very difficult. Um, most states, you need a tremendous amount of signatures, and you really only have about 10 to 12 months to get the signatures between each election. So you got to start after a certain time, and then you got to have them in before the next midterm, right? Each cycle is only two years. And the problem is it's not cumulative. It's nothing that you could all right, you know what, we're going to set our minds to this and we're going to work. It's going to be a three, four cycle effort and then eventually we're going to get there. No, it resets every cycle. So you got to shoot for the moon. You got to you got to get that in the end zone. Um, if you don't get it, that cycle, it completely resets. That's, that's the biggest problem, the biggest obstacle to starting a new party. Um, and, and that's really why it hasn't been done until now. So my idea is, okay, run as a Republican. You know, some states also, by the way, states like New York, I think there's a couple others, it is easy to run on multiple ballots. In other words, you could get Republican and in New York, they have the conservative party. So we need a united group of people that, let's say we are the Federalist Party, Freedom Party, whatever name you want to call us. De facto, that is who we are. We run together on a platform. We do messaging in the media. We write our policy papers. We write our blogs. This is who we are. This is what we stand for. We're the rhinos. You know, it's funny. At the end of the day, you know, the Republican Party is a joke. So, yeah, we'll be the Republicans in name only. We'll, we'll get on the ballot as Republicans. And this is what the Freedom Caucus needs to do. This is what I'm going to push these guys to do. They need to, they need to take it to the next level. Walk in there and say, we... No, we're not part of Republicans. We're Freedom Party. Well, well, why are you elected as Republicans? Well, why are you guys elected as Republicans if you don't follow the platform and you lie for seven years about repealing Obamacare? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. What are they going to do? Primary our guys? Let them try. I mean, they try anyway. And then eventually, when you have a critical mass of guys doing this and you have enough of a national branding, then boom, you make you know one election, you make a sprint for it, and you try to get on the ballot in as many states as possible within that one election cycle. And I think once you get on in one cycle, it's going to be pretty easy to continue this. But this needs to be done. It's not a question of if or should. The question is how, and that's the meeting I want to call of, of like-minded individuals. But for now... We're stuck with this party. We're stuck with the lowest common denominator of Trump and the establishment. You know, the few issues that Trump tries to be good on, it's a dumpster fire. He hires liberals. They don't carry out his orders. Um, and we have a conservative media that's completely bankrupt. 
that doesn't recognize their power. You know, I have a piece on this this week I'll link to in the show notes, how conservatives don't recognize the power they have. And I want to give you the following anecdote that just took place. Just, just took place over the weekend. I, I don't know for sure if it's me that did this, but it still proves the point. So on Friday, I, I wrote a scathing, scathing piece on Trump. And, and my point was this. You know, Trump came out with tweets the next day. He's like, you know what? I always felt Obamacare just needed to fail on its own. I'm going to go do that and make them deal, make them come back to the table. And then he put out another tweet saying, you know, we need to fix the filibuster. This business of needing 60 votes is nonsense. We should need 51. Now, put aside the fact that what a joke, because, you know, we all know that uh, (laughs) they couldn't get 51 votes. So, you know, 60 votes is not the problem. Um, This is this is the classic, you know, Trump shtick. He just blurts out things that aren't true. But there's a major problem here. There are two things that you could do to actually help make Obamacare collapse and bring both Congress and the insurance cartel to the table. Number one, get rid of the congressional exemption from Obamacare um, that they're exempt and they get special subsidies. So they have to feel the pain of the $20,000 premiums. Number two, stop the illegal unconstitutional insurance bailout. You know, the cost-sharing subsidies that Trump just uh, gave for July last week, I've, I've hit him on this multiple times. And, and again, not only are they not appropriated for, so it's unconstitutionally appropriating money from uh, the executive branch, and not only are they making record profits, but these are not for premiums. These are to offset the, the um, co-payments and deductibles, which belong. the insurance companies don't get co-payments and deductibles. That's the whole point. That's what you pay to the provider. So if you believe in a bailout, you go to the provider. So this is complete nonsense. But why am I juxtaposing this to his tweet on the 60-vote threshold? Because you don't need 60 votes. You don't need one vote. You can't blame it on the parliamentarian. You could do this with your pen. These are two things that Obama started illegally, administratively. Not with Congress. According to statute, there, there is no funding for cost-sharing. According to statute, Congress doesn't get subsidies. They can't. It's written into the ACA. Grassley, you know, Senator Grassley got it in there at the time in 2010. They cannot get subsidies. Obama did this illegally. So simply don't do it. The same way you simply don't give DACA cards amnesty. Don't certify the Iran deal. Don't continue Obama's transgender order. Just stop it. But yet Trump continues it. So I wrote a scathing piece on this. And guess what? Over the weekend, in two separate reports, Trump threatened to get rid of congressional subsidies, get rid of the insurance bailouts. Now, in one of the major articles in Fox News, they quote yours truly. This was on the um, the insurance bailout one. Did, did his staff show it to him? Did he see it? I don't know. But I didn't hear anyone else saying this. My point is this. I'm just a nobody. Rush, Sean, Drudge, our our friends over at Breitbart. I mean, they have his ear a lot more than I do. Imagine if they would be saying this all the time. Demanding that Trump's rhetoric comport with the policy outcomes. 
you know, maybe we'd have something. We'd get something from him. Now, again, in the long run, I think this is a joke. In the long run, you're not going to make this work. This administration is 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 gone. And, and again, it's a personnel problem. It's a personnel problem. You know, everyone wants to, oh, Daniel, what do you think? He got rid of Ryan's Priebus as chief of staff. Now he has General Kelly, you know, plucking him away from DHS. Uh, he was secretary of DHS, now making him chief of staff. It doesn't matter. None of these guys share our values. Kelly, much like Mattis and McMaster, General's impressive career, you know, his son died for this country, on General Kelly, that is. God bless him, but he's not a conservative. I'm sorry. I mean, the one advantage is hopefully, you know, we got him away from DHS, so, you know, maybe we'll get someone better. But you know what? L- let me just, you know I, know, I know I'm kind of running all over the place here. Let me just uh, go on a tangent for a minute. Why don't we have a better argument? Now that we don't have a secretary of DHS, why don't we have a why don't we advocate that we abolish DHS which has been worthless and devolve ICE and USCIS back to the Justice Department like it always was. You know, and, and several other agencies go under the auspices of Treasury. I mean, why do you need this other department? What a waste of funding. But then again, we don't have a party that is capable of making a case for any fundamental systemic reform on anything, whether it's reforming the way government operates, whether it's reforming an issue, whether it's reforming the judiciary, nothing. We do not have a party. It is a waste of time. But anyway, these people are a bunch of liberals anyway. They don't share our values. Nothing's going to change. And you saw this this week with the transgender edict in the military. You know, I, I I roughed up this administration. Another thing, I was the only one criticizing them on the transgenderism in the military. And you know what? To Trump's credit, he came out and he he was on message. He said, "Look, we're in a time of war. Um, this is ridiculous." And he said, "We're not we're not having transgenders in the military, whatever that even means." And um, I praised him for it. And guess what? Two days later, we find out Mattis publicly, both Mattis, the, you know, Secretary of Defense, and then the. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, um, Dun- General Dunford, come out and like get all hormonal about it. I guess they didn't take their horm- hormone therapy today. <laughs> no, it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, th- 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 by the way, this is how bankrupt our generals are. Anyone who understands this in the military will tell you the entire crop of generals need to be fired. They've only gotten to where they are because they're a bunch of transgender-loving leftists. You can't get ahead in the military this past generation without being one of those. I mean, that, that's the bottom line. You know, Mattis is a liberal Democrat. <laughs> the reason to this day we don't even have a number two, three, and four person in the Pentagon. They're all Obama p- people because there's fights with the White House over appointees because Mattis wants only Democrats appointed. So anyway, they, they come out and say, oh, no, we want all this. This is why I'm telling you, you know, even the few things that Trump is finally on message or finally wants to do the right thing, it it doesn't result in a policy outcome because he doesn't have it together. He doesn't believe in anything fully. And the reason is when Trump interviews people for a job, you know, if I were president, you know, you know, my first things, I'd find out if they share my values on all the important issues. You know, I'm not saying there aren't, you know, important competence and, you know, whatever about your resume and this and that, but do you share our values? This is an ideological war we're in. No, his first thing, I mean, you know, people will tell you it's (laughs) your image, 
How tall are you? How do you look? Your resume? You know, and he's impressed. You know, General Kelly and General Mattis and Tillerson, CEO of ExxonMobil. That's lovely. But are they conservative? No. So there you go. So you've just preemptively sandbagged your entire presidency because nothing you want to do will ever be carried out. So that's where at, that's why I just don't I think the next three and a half years will be horrible unless we change the game. But but conservative media needs to learn from my example this week how if if little nobody Daniel could at least force the president um, to get on message on a couple of issues. Maybe if you stop licking his rear end and you start punching him in the face a little bit and say, hey, you know, you're betraying us. Maybe I'll do the right thing. I'll tell you this much. If he knows we're on the plantation, and again, this is the whole problem with the Republican Party. They know we're on the plantation. We're, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll bash the Democrats all day. We'll complain about the media. Oh, and ignore the fact that they're promoting liberal policies, our own party, under our own banner. Yeah, I mean, if they do that, then of course nothing is going to change. But the real reason why I believe that this party is irremediably broken is because I look ahead at the horizon and I look at all the opportunities we have, all the opportunities we have on so many important policy issues. And really, when it boils down to it, we don't have a party that is capable of articulating our views. Look at healthcare. You know, I've, I've spent the last couple of weeks giving a vision for how to fix not health insurance, but health care, even if we don't repeal Obamacare, how we could engage in a, a, the ultimate flanking maneuver and make Obamacare and therefore repeal of Obamacare completely moot and cut straight to the problem of this third-party payer business with government and the insurance cartel, an amazing populist message. It, I have gotten so many messages from people online saying, look, I don't agree with you on anything. I'm not a conservative, but man, on healthcare, you're making a lot of sense. And and that's what gets me. Imagine if we had a new party that didn't have all this baggage, the, the lobbyist baggage, the ties to the, to the cartel, um, and we could come in and totally punch both parties in the nose on this issue. Th- this issue alone could be the ticket to, to the success of a new party. It will, I'm telling you, it will never happen under this party. Healthcare is everything. It's the economy, it's the personal budget, it's the national debt. It is every issue that is holding us back from prosperity, from liberty, revolves around that. And the good news is you don't have to even sound all that conservative. Oh, we're going to cut this, we're going to cut that. Instead, you actually just rail against the current system of the statutory and regulatory and subsidy regime being tilted towards the crony cartel. And I'm going to have a piece out this week giving my blueprint for Medicaid reform, even agreeing, saying, look, we'll shake hands on it. We'll keep the expansion. We'll keep 75 million people on it. Again, it's, it's appalling. I don't agree with it. We'll keep the same level of spending. But here's how you ensure that 550, 580 billion that we spend in Medicaid stays at that and doesn't go up to a trillion like it's slated to within a decade. You give it to the people in private escrow accounts and you allow them to purchase their own health sharing association plans, pay the rest out of pocket. It's all covered, but they come in like any other patient and there's no price fixing. There's no market distorting cartel. You know, like you heard on our podcast with Dr. Keith Smith last week. 
what the government is doing, it's not just the dependency and the money they're spending, but the market distortions that further increase the cost of healthcare, not just on the government subsidy plan, but for everyone else. It, it destroys the entire market. For example, like, like Dr. Smith was saying, the Medicaid reimbursement rates for doctors who work in hospitals is almost double the reimbursement rates for those that don't work in hospitals. So you're literally creating a, a playing field that you're just tilting the playing field towards the hospitals. I have no nostalgia for you know things that go by the wayside if the market forces dictate that that, that should be the outcome. But that's not the case. It's an unconstitutional program that shouldn't exist to begin with, and the way they structure it does that. But again, if you would structure it not as third-party payer, not giving hospitals and insurers a bailout, but just giving the money directly to indigent or disabled um, individuals that can't pay for it on their own and allow them to go out and pay for it. This is not some dream to abolish Medicaid. This is just saying simply, imagine if Medicaid would just merely run like food stamps. Is that too much? Is that too right-wing to ask? I, I, I listened to the Democrats debate Republicans that night when the health care bill went down. And man, they stood there pounding the lectern. You guys are going to let people die. You guys are in bed with the insurance companies. And I was thinking, if only we had a party on the Senate floor that could shove it right back in their faces. But we can't because the Republicans have a glass jaw. Instead, what do they tell us? They tell us that they're going to move on to tax reform. I mean, what a joke. You know I've said this many times. The tax issue is dead relative to almost any other issue. I'm not saying that the tax code is great. I would rather, you know, obviously repeal the 16th Amendment. But short of that, there's not much we can do. And it's it's relatively much better than it has been in past decades following the Reagan and Bush tax cuts. You know, not to give away my income here, but, um, you know, I was thinking, yeah, I, I do give a nice amount of charity and you got, you got the deductions. I'm, I'm not saying I'm happy with it, but on net, you know, most of us pay between ten and fifteen thousand in net federal income taxes, and um, you know certainly there's many people that pay far less and almost zero, or, or have a net positive tax liability. Net, I mean, net negative tax liability. But um, how much are we going to pay in health insurance and health care throughout our lifetime that dwarfs any amount of tax cut you're going to get? You'll get the tax cut at best will be a few hundred dollars per person. And by the way, like I've said many times, it might wind up being a net tax increase on many, um, you know, people in the twenty five percent tax bracket, married individuals that own homes, because the the getting rid of the deductions. Again, I wouldn't have structured a tax system based on it in the first place, but once you have it, you're going to wind up raising a lot of taxes on people. It's just it's stupid. It's a phony issue at this point, especially the way the GOP wants to approach it. I'm going to move on from healthcare and move to tax reform. That is so incongruent. It makes no sense. Healthcare is the issue of our time. The way taxes was the issue of the time during Re- during Reagan's time. Remember, rates were at 70%. They weren't indexed inflation. That was the big economic um, distorter at the time. Now, the big economic distorter is healthcare. 
and 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 government using the and, and again to the extent you're going to address taxes the only thing that's worthwhile is a, is addressing the healthcare distortion within the tax code but i'm just telling you they're not going to do that it's now at you know the the tax exclusion for health um for employer based healthcare to basically tell employers if you if you give your workers another $15,000 that's fully taxed right but if you give that $15,000 to the crony insurance cartel it's tax exempt that is, do you know that that is worth 300 billion dollars a year Keep in mind, what are, what are some of the biggest tax deductions that we always talk about, how you know it really has influenced the market? Charitable, mortgage interest deduction, the deduction for state and local taxes. Those are worth, I, I don't have it offhand, uh, but I, if, I, if my memory uh, serves me correct, I believe it's somewhere between 60 to 80 billion a piece for, for those uh, expenditures. And here, the healthcare exclusion is $300 billion. That is single-handedly what has created the cartel long before Obamacare. Now, they're not going to get rid of that. But but the best thing we can do is say, all right, so if you don't get rid of it, then have equal tax treatment. Be allowed, you know, individuals should be allowed to take it, but also for employers, they should be allowed to use it to contribute to health sharing associations. Why should the insurance cartel have the boot of government, much like the ethanol lobby, use the boot of government to mandate and subsidize their own product? And by the way, that's another issue I'm writing about this week. We have an article out today. The ethanol mandate. There's even a little bit of bipartisan support for getting rid of it or dramatically cutting it back. Yet the president supports it. I mean, could you imagine a party that stood up there and said, the only thing worse than socialism is for rich cronies to use the boot of government to force you to purchase their crap and therefore raising the cost of the most vital goods and services. Food, fuel in the case of ethanol, and healthcare. This is how you'd get so many people on board. This is why we need a party that's not just a home base for the conservative base. But they could actually reach out to people, but not reach out to them you know, in terms of selling dependency. But it's all about the messaging and the principle being relentlessly consistent, being, being smart about it. That will never work in this party. You could elect one or two people here that scream from the roof, rooftops, but you're preemptively uh, sabotaged by the rest of the party that's saying the opposite of your message. Issue after issue, there are so many opportunities if we only had a party to articulate our views. But we don't. We don't. And that's why I will always believe until my dying breath, Now, hopefully we don't have to wait that long, that we will never, ever solve this problem until we have a new party. And like I said, that's what I'm going to work towards. And, and sometimes that might mean getting involved in primaries, but getting people elected in primaries that have no allegiance, we need to kind of unify them, maybe even have an official name for it. But like I said before, use the Republican Party. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing. You know, you have the 2018 elections coming up. And again, going back to our analogy, you come in, see your spouse cheating on you, and you have an opportunity to file for a divorce, but you don't do it. And it amazes me that we are, again, we're the only ones even getting involved and mentioning some of these races, like in Alabama. You look look at this election cycle. Who do you have up? You have Jeff Flake 
Roger Wicker, Dev Fisher, Dean Heller, Bob Corker, Orrin Hatch, John Barrasso, and Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is, is the only one that deserves a re-election. Every one of those should go down. But, you know, is there an effort to get rid of them? One or two cases, maybe. And then, obviously, I forgot Alabama. You got a you know, session seat, which Mitch McConnell and Carl Rover are going full bore here to get Luther Strange elected. This is why, I mean, you want to talk about it, by the way, again, the perfect paradigm for starting a third party is Judge Roy Moore, because he is essentially a new party. He will come in there and have no allegiance to any of these people, a Republican in name only. And in this case, when you can't beat the rhinos, let's become our own rhinos. That is the path forward, I believe, to starting um, this trajectory towards a new party. But again, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. We could actually have a party that addresses the big issues of our time and addresses them from a position of strength. Healthcare, to me, is probably the most important issue and really the most achievable solution. It really is the most achievable. Because I'll tell you this much. What I've noticed is that a lot of people think that there's too much dependency in this country and we can never you know, roll back the dependency state. But if you really look at the politics, it's not the so-called poor people that are marching on Washington and, uh, you know, basically ha- have the politicians around the neck to-, to keep the gravy train flowing. It's not them. It's the rich people, the people who get rich off the scam, what we call venture socialism. That's the problem. The problem is when you have the insurance cartel and the, and the big hospital conglomerates that have government-sponsored monopolies, and we're going to talk about that hopefully later this week or next week with a buddy of mine who's a state legislator in Ohio that's an expert on healthcare policy, and we're going to talk about some of his proposals. But, but why these hospitals have a monopoly on healthcare? It is all through programs like Medicaid. And that's why I'm saying if we just say, you know what, we'll give you guys, we'll give the poor the money, but cut out the cartel, that is how over time you'll be able to wean people off dependency. A, you won't have the market distortion, so it's not self-fulfilling that, you know, rather than subsidizing an MRI at $3,000, you're subsidizing at $300. You know, you you don't have um, the the price fixing, but also – you're not enabling and empowering a so-called private sector to use the Buddha government to, to, to then, you know, they'll, they'll demagogue the poverty issue, but they'll use it to enrich themselves. That is what we need to do. Free market populism, not garbage BS populism, but free market populism is the wave, wave of the future, but you need a vehicle to be able to throw that ball down the field. We're going to have a lot more on the courts, on healthcare, on immigration. Like I said, I'm going to have a piece on ethanol coming up. Um, send me your notes, your ideas on healthcare. We're going to one by one go through our solutions to these issues. I really appreciate your comments, your feedback. It, it's really what's kept me going. Um, some days I wonder if this is even worth it, but heck. It looks like at least the president's listening to me at least enough to tweet. Now, if only we can get his tweets to manifest in policy outcomes. See you later, folks. God bless. Until next time, this has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.